Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good afternoon. I am live on location at the confluence of the Bow River and the Elbow. Yes, where the Bow and the Elbow meet. It is, it's so hard to believe as I sit here in our sunny location, just off the bike path behind Fort Calgary. And I'm looking out at the downtown core. Five years ago, it was just starting to begin. And we woke up the next day to, well, I I would be underwater right now. We, of course, are just west of the Calgary Zoo, and we all know what happened at the Calgary Zoo five years ago. So we are marking the fifth anniversary of the 2013 flood. And throughout the afternoon, we're going to check in with uh, Tom Sampson from uh, Medical Services with our emergency services. We're going to talk with Drew Farrell, just what the city has done in the last five years, what it's doing in the future to mitigate uh, a flood of this mag- magnitude uh, down the road. So um, stay with us and definitely share your stories. 403-974-8255. You can always text us your stories and memories of the flood of 2013. I saw a column in the Calgary Herald today, Alicia Corbello penning it, and I wanted to bring Alicia on because it, it focuses on the mental health of those people impacted by the flood. And I think a lot of us forget what some of those people either on the front lines or directly impacted by the flood how it affected them mentally and here five years out some of them still say they are still dealing with issues Leisha Corbella joining us today hello Leisha Hi, Angela. How are you? Well, I'm well. And and I remember in those early days and months after the flood, how we heard from the province and different healthcare uh, advocates saying, we've got to make sure that we are taking care of the mental health of these victims. In the end, we had thousands of people that were impacted mentally from this disaster. Yeah, um, experts actually say that fully half of the 100,000 Albertans who were evacuated from their homes um, during the flood um, have suffered some kind of psychological effect. So that's 50,000 people. Yeah, that's pretty. Well, and even now, five years out, do you think some people still are, are struggling or when there's a lot of rain falling in June that they get a little tense? I read some reports and spoke to some um, researchers who study disaster, and they say that there are children who still have nightmares, there are people who are still on medication, there are people every, you know, I spoke to so many homeowners who live in areas that flooded, and they say they watch the snowpack and the rain forecast and all of that, the river's height, um, they've become experts on all of that and they do it every year because they're you know they worry like is it coming is it going to happen again because remember how suddenly it happened in 2013 that was the shocker well and you're right how many of us went to bed one night and saw okay it's raining and we're hearing this about the snowpack and then i still remember a neighbor coming up from sunnyside knocking on our door saying can we stay at your place we've been evacuated didn't realize what was happening in the later evening and then into the early morning hours of june 21st so yeah it took so many people by surprise it really did and so i think the the well 
this is what I'm told, is the unpredictability of that, um, the suddenness of it, I guess, um, is one of the things that uh, causes the trauma. But then there's also the grief. I mean, people say, oh, uh, you know, it's just stuff. Well, it's not just stuff. It's, it disrupts your life. And for many people, it doesn't just get rid of their stuff it gets rid of their community they had to move out they had to live somewhere else I interviewed a couple who um, were living in Roxborough um, near the Elbow River and uh, a kilometer away from the Elbow River mind you and um, they're they just literally moved it back into their house I mean they've they've set up their bed and their kitchen is getting stocked up again but you know, it's still, um, you know, disheveled because uh, they're in the in the process of moving from a home that they were they had to buy in a southwest um, suburb because they there was no rental after the flood, right? Like, well, and you're saying the flood, that you, there was a housing crisis. Yeah, Alicia, you're saying, and they're just moving back into their home that uh, was devastated in the flood. Yeah, so they they've just they they were re, they've been rebuilding it themselves, and um, because you know not everybody has uh, the money to to just have uh, contractors come in and rebuild your house, and so they've been just you know working full time raising uh, kids and uh, working hard um, on their time off to rebuild their house, and so that's what they've just done, and so five years it's taken them. And, you know, the, the stress on those communities has been immense. And um, many of them, I think, probably don't realize it. One of the researchers, this Caroline McDonald Harker at Mount Royal University, said that um, a lot of people don't really realize what kind of stress they were under and the kind of psychological effects they're suffering until about three years out after the flood and that's what usually when the funding stops for psychological programming you know specifically for a, a disaster so well, you know and I, yeah, yeah Alicia I just remember in those early days when the province was saying they're rolling out the help for people's mental health and mm-hmm. a lot of the experts were saying you may not even realize this until a couple of years down the road because you get into that mode of okay all I've got to focus on is making sure I can get back into a home I I've got to repair the damage that's done. Like you're in that certain mode and it may be several months or years down the road before it really hits you what you've been through. That's exactly right. They're so busy dealing with sort of the survival mode of, you know, repairing their home and um, getting the kids into a new school if they need to or whatever. And um, they're just sort of like on overdrive and they're they're spinning so fast and you know people understand that like sometimes you go on vacation you don't realize gee how tightly wound you were until you Mm -hmm. go on vacation well put this you know that's uh you know this is exponentially worse because there all that other stuff that is usually stable is completely disrupted what stories were you hearing from from couples because we think that in these times of disaster this is when they work together but that can also be a huge strain on a relationship as well yeah so apparently 42 percent of all couples say that it was uh, the flood was 
who were evacuated say that the flood was a huge stress on their relationship. And then there's, it goes down from there, but, um, it, you know, it pretty much stressed out every relationship um, and, uh, and it, in many cases led to breakups. But, you know, families that apparently communicate really well and admit the fact that they're feeling frustrated and upset and sad and all of those things, they're the ones that do better. And the couple that I interviewed, the Goulds, um, they were really good at communicating. Um, but they still had a lot of stress. I mean, one of the things that they told, they tell this story and they laugh about it now, but um, they were driving on the Deerfoot going to look at windows for their house that they were rebuilding. And... Um, they were the, the woman was so angry at her husband. She said, "Let me out!" And they were on the deer foot. <laughs> and he and, let her out. Yeah, he had to. Like she was, she was insistent. So he he found a safer place where she could actually walk off onto a different road and and let her out. But yeah, you know, so that's the kind of stress people were under, and you know. Um, a lot of people get through it, but, you know, some people don't. And for kids, a lot of kids um, apparently uh, had attachment issues, so they were extremely, they didn't want to leave their parents' sides, the younger kids I'm talking about. And um, this uh, Dr. McDonald Harker was saying that younger kids would revert back to, like if they were potty trained, they might start wetting the bed again. Or um, And even youth were who, who, you know, had their basement rooms and their cool hangout in the basement, they no longer wanted to stay in the basement. You know, they you saw that the water, you know, pushed junk right up into the ceiling and and they just didn't want to be a part of that anymore back to the Gould family that ended up having to buy a bungalow far Mm. away from their community you tell the story the importance that they said their young son that they wanted to make sure that yes he could have gone to a new school but they thought it was important that they continued to drive him back to I think it was Western Canada High that was impacted by the flood as well but talk about that importance for that family to say that at a time of such stress and disaster we've got to have some things that are still normal Yeah, well, in the case of uh, that son, he was 12 at the time of the flood, so he's not driving, right? So his whole community was lost to him. I mean, the parents could still drive back. It was hard for them, actually. It was painful. They said it it caused them stress just driving back to their neighborhood and seeing their house and their neighborhood. But for for this young young, uh, son, um, you know, he couldn't drive, and he's out in the boonies. You may as well be a thousand miles away. Um, in terms of seeing your friends for most nights and days. And, uh, you know, it, 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 he had a really, he said his grade 8 year was just so difficult. And um, it, it's interesting, though, Angela, because uh, this young man, such an amazing family, but this young man, he says he's chosen to go into journalism because he thinks it's so important to tell the stories of um, these kinds of things. So it's sort of the flood has helped determine his career path, if you will. You know, of course, there's the silver lining that we heard of communities finally, you know, reaching out, helping neighbors, getting to know other neighbors because of the disaster. That was a similar story with the Goulds, wasn't it? 
it really was. And, and they had so many stories. Like there's one where um, Kathy Gould says, oh, um, you know, I was hankering for pizza. And I was thinking, I really need a piece of pizza now. And some guy came down the street and said, does anybody want some pizza? Because, you know, there was volunteers everywhere and people were just trying to help in any way they could. And, you know, she said things like that happened all the time. They they, they got their flooring dropped off and, and the, the flooring company, uh, their machine had broken down or something. And then as they were trying to figure out how are we going to get all this, this flooring in our house, some guy came along with a forklift or something. <laughs> it's just like crazy stories like that. So, you know, lots of goodwill. And they, they do say that there is a lot of good came from uh, the flood, but, you know, a lot of stress too. Yeah. And do you think the experts you talked to, yes, five years out, do you think um, a lot of those people who have dealt with issues of trauma, have they been able to, I don't want to say move on, but recognize that they needed help and are getting that help? Yeah. And there's a really interesting study from the UFC um, by uh, Julie Drolet, and uh, she actually spoke with social workers and uh, many of them were victims of the flood themselves and had to then counsel people. And, you know, for them, a lot of them, it was cathartic. But what happened to a lot of people is it's like a jar and, it, you know, it gets overfilled. And when you put another thing in, it just spills over. And that's what was happening. People would go in for counseling and it would be because of the stress of the flood. But then they would find out, um, then they'd start talking about childhood trauma or, you know, abuse or something because they hadn't dealt with that and there's only so much, you know, a, a human psyche can take, right? It's it, different for every individual, but that's how it was explained to me and it makes sense. Yeah. Leisha, thanks so much and I know people can read your column at calgaryherald.com. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Angela. Take care.